Christian atheist. So they believe in their head because that's what believers do. They just say, well, of course I believe in healing. Of course I believe in being filled with the Holy Ghost. Of course I believe. And so they say that because that's the, they say that in their head because that's the mark of a believer. It's the mark of a believer to believe God's Word. Are you all with me? It's the mark of a believer to believe God's Word. But it's the one thing we all struggle with. So we all struggle in some sense. I'm not saying you struggle, struggle, but at times when you take new ground or you're confronted with something that's different, you, you fight the good fight of faith. The good fight of faith is this. It's not to beat the devil. The good fight of faith is to stay in faith. That's all the good fight of faith is, is to stay in faith. If you stay in faith, you win. It's a slam dunk. The devil's defeated if you can stay in faith. But the circumstances and the words and the bad report tempt us, if it could be, to not stay in faith. So uh, these Christian atheists, though they believe in their head that God's word is true, they can't follow through to stand on the word. They say, I believe I'm healed. They say, I call that need met. But there's no conviction in them. A conviction is something that you would trade your mother for. A conviction is something that you'd let them put a gun to your head. And you'll say, it doesn't matter. I, this is who I am and this is what I believe. And, and a conviction is something in this case is that the word is true and it cannot fail. Say it with me. The word is true and it cannot fail. Well, that's a conviction. You don't get that easily. You don't get that with a casual faith. You have, to, you have to suffer in your faith. You have to have tried and tested your faith. You've got to see the kitchen sink go by three times, as it were, in certain areas, and know that that's the worst the devil's got. It's the worst that it's got. So what is the answer to this Christian atheist? And that's why we're ministering this message. That's why this series is even there. That's why you and I are enduring this like okay i got it the first time the first time you came out and said this i believed i'm in can we move on no we cannot move on we're going to wear you down with the truth and we're going to chase out every crumb every vestige of the lie from your life but the answer to the christian atheist is to meet every argument every shallow hesitation is to meet it until they can believe unto action. Believing is, is only as deep or as far as you're willing to act on it. It doesn't matter what you say. It only matters how you react to what you say you believe. So we're, gonna, we're just going to pound this subject until the hesitators, until the, uh, sh the arguments are met and brought to naught. Doesn't mean everybody will, but we're gonna we're gonna chase out every room and every closet, and we're gonna we're gonna find every argument about. Well, I think it's mostly true, and I think this, and I think that. But and it's what follows that but that always causes us to unwind. Well, we're just gonna drive it out. We're gonna look at everything. We've looked at several things. We've looked at prophecies in the Bible. We've looked at the historical accuracy of the Bible. We've looked at the archaeological accuracy of the Bible. We looked in, at Bible numerics last time we were together, which is uh, uh, it's where numeric values are assigned to letters in the Greek and the Hebrew. And uh, when you just get the numbers out, there's a pattern 
that's amazingly consistent. And then there's a pattern within the pattern that's supernatural. That's, that's all I'm saying. It's supernatural. There's not a secret message in it. It's just supernatural. And then tonight we're going to talk about the scientific accuracy of the Bible, which is my favorite to just, just tee up the scientific part and, uh, and hit the ball into the, into the hole. Amen. So um, there's a book by Dr. Edward Blecht, and it's called The Correlation of the Bible in Science. And he, I'm going to quote him several times tonight, but he, he, uh, he makes the contrast between the Bible and so-called books of faith, which that would be the Hindus, the Muslims, the Buddhists, uh, and, and the Mormons and the Jehovah Witnesses and all that. He contrasts that to the Bible only. And uh, he, he makes the note that the Bible is so scientifically accurate that uh, science has reversed its own beliefs when attempting to dispute it. And we looked at some things archaeologically and historically where they, they went in there and uh, tried to upend Luke in Acts, and they could not. Uh, what we're going to present tonight is that the Bible has, for hundreds and even thousands of years, has recorded scientific truth. Obviously, it's not in a way that says E equals MC squared or anything like that, but it's truths that portray uh, a scientific validity to what scientists don't even know yet. They have not come across that truth, and they don't know it. So um, they finally experiment things, and they say, golly gee, looks like the Bible is true after all, and it goes on and on. Um, you know, we've talked about that the absence of error in the Bible is remarkable. There's a lot of pages in my Bible. Let me, let me look and see how many, counting the maps, there's over a thousand pages in my Bible, and it's all got to G-Hall, 66 books with 44, uh, 40 uh, authors, 44, 40, several, three, three dozen, and, and it's all true. Now, that doesn't mean that there hadn't been disputes, but conservative Bible scholars have worked out every single dispute and made it bring to bear uh, without sacrifice. So we're going to uh, start with the sacred writings of the Hindus. And let you, it's supposed to be their sacred book, which is supposed to be based on truth. Here's some things. They uh, wrote down that the moon is 50,000 leagues higher than the sun and that the moon shines by its own light. We're, we're just saying, if you're going to be true, you ought to be true on everything. Uh, they say the earth is flat back then when they wrote it and uh, triangular. And it's now this is funny. It's composed of seven layers, one of honey, another of sugar a third of butter, and another one of wine. We don't know what the other three layers are, but that, that ought to get you down the road. Hallelujah. Uh, the whole seven-layer mass is supposedly born of the heads of many elephants, which in shaking or assembling produces earthquakes. This is their holy book. The Quran, if you read it, the, it says that the stars are simply torches in the lower heavens and that men are make that made out of baked clay. Let's get chapter 2 on that book and see what else we could find out. Um, the Bible's more ancient than either of these books, obviously, but it's way more accurate. How can that be? Well, we know that is. There's just one adequate explanation, 
that uh, a higher intelligence than man. Listen, a higher intelligence than man. So it could be the Quran was written by a man's inspiration, that the Hindu book was written by a storyteller with some experience, but he didn't have insight into the scientific parts of the world. He had no revelation. So he, he failed in it right that. But this is, uh, this is called an intelligent being, and in that we call it intelligent design. If you don't want to call it God, if you don't want to call it uh, whatever you don't want to call it, you can call it intelligent design, that everything fits together, and it should. Uh, it's, like I said, it's, it's amazing that no demonstrative mistake has been proven in the Bible, even though it's been assailed and uh, assaulted by many people. So let's start on that. I want to just, I just want to put this out. We ought to, like I said, I'm expecting that you're bored, that it's like, really? We don't need to be convinced because we already are in. We're in. No, you're not. You're in in your head, I'm in in my head. But I need to pound that nail till it goes all the way through. I need to leave no stone unturned because my mind, your mind, is deceptive. And it, it, will, it will cover something up or not even know it's covered. And then in a moment when you have to pull the trigger, you have to, you have to land on the side of faith. You have to declare from a conviction, God's word is true and I base my life on it, that lie will come up. That hesitation will come up and it'll, it'll submarine you. And it has, all of us. I've been submarined by things that I just wanted to believe and just tried and willed it to believe, but I could tell the mountain wasn't moving. It, well, it was shaking, it was vibrating, it was shimmering, but it didn't move. Y'all know about that mountain? It just didn't move. Maybe in one area you had, you, you were unassailable. You moved that booger, just moved it and moved it at will. But in other areas, nothing's happening. So let's, let's talk about the earth is round. This is one thing that the Bible proves before men thought. Uh, writings from the scriptures over 3,000 years ago, clearly, 3,000 years, clearly teaches that the earth is round. It's known by every culture today that has observed the earth from space, except the Flat Earth Society. <laughs> they don't go up in airplanes, and they, don't, they discount the horizon and the curvature of the earth. That's quite a bunch. And you think, well, they're a bunch of idiots from the woods. No, they're not. They're, they're famous people and, and repu not reputable, but, uh, you know, basketball players and stuff like that, whatever they are. The Bible itself declares that every sh everything in, in it should not be just established by one sentence, which is the error of many other so-called holy books, but that out of the mouth of two or more witnesses, every, every word shall be established. So in Isaiah chapter 40, if you'd like to turn that, we're going to have to move pretty quick, which would be a new thing for me. And we might not... We'll look at a few scriptures here, and then we'll just uh, give you the address of others. Chapter 40 of Isaiah... Verse 22, here it is. Isaiah, is a he's an old-timer. You know he is. And he said, by inspiration of the Holy Ghost, it is he, speaking of God, it is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. And the inhabitants there are on and on. The circle of the earth. <clears throat> 
Job 26, 7. Let's see here. No, we're going to use that for another, another place. I got so many things. I got so many proofs here. Okay, so uh, where is my, where's my other scripture? Just a minute. Well, I have to get back to it, but that's one scripture on the circle of the earth. Um, I have wrote down, I read that until 1400 A.D., you know, 1492, Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue, that sort of thing. But until at least 1400, uh, there were still people being burned at the stake. And I'm talking about famous people, people that were scientists that invented things like the compass and the, and the uh, stratoscope and all that. But they were burned at the stake for insisting that the world was not, the earth was not round. Uh, they, they were mocked, they lost their positions, and even suffered death. Uh, I think it's Isaiah 55, 9. You're right there. Let's just see what's in Isaiah 55, 9. Well, here we have a scripture that talks about the, uh, the extent of the earth. It says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, and he goes on, my ways are higher than your ways. The heavens are higher than the earth. So we have a scientific mandate for that. I wrote down here about the hydro hydrologic cycle. What is that? Well, this is going to seem very simple. But the water, the water cycle called the hydrologic cycle is the cycle that we take for granted because, of course, but it's where water is moved around by the atmosphere. It rains. It fills up a lake. The lake runs out a river. goes into the ocean. So you'd think the lake would be dry, but it comes back through rain again. So uh, uh, I have wrote down evaporation, transpiration, condensation, precipitation, and runoff are the parts of the, uh, that cycle. But right there in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, that's uh, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes 7.1, excuse me, 1.6. Help me, Lord. I'm going to get it here. One seven. <laughs> oh, I got these things. Well, let's do verse six. The wind goeth toward the south and turneth about into the north. It whirleth about continually, and the wind returneth again according to its circuits. Circuits. Uh, this is the, this is the law of atmospheric circulation, and. Uh, you think, well, everybody knows that. Well, back in the 1400s and the 1200s and around the first of the first century, the thousand, uh, the millennium, they did not know this. And it was very controversial about where winds come from and what it is. They did not know where wind comes from. And they didn't know about low pressure and high pressure. But the word here says that it goes, it moves around and then returns, uh, returneth again according to his circuits. So there's a pattern of wind patterns, and we know that's true now scientifically. Um, the hydrological circuit is all the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full, verse 7. Unto the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. So the rivers are always running. Is that right? You go, well, they, they ought to run out, and they should, but they don't. They just keep filling up and turning. That was in the Bible before men knew that was. Uh, there's the law of increasing entropy. And I found this one, didn't even know what it was. But it means that uh, the state of entropy is of the entire universe that as an isolated system 
will always increase over time. Now, you may not have known that, may not care, but it states that the changes in the entropy in the universe can never be negative. This law states that everything in the universe is deteriorating, that nothing is by blind chance, and it forms itself into more complex forms of energy. Um, Isaiah 55, 9, we read that. The heavens are higher than the earth. So that means, I'm going to look at that another place, that the earth, the universe is expanding. Let's go to uh, the gravitational field. I'm just hitting these. I got so many of them. Job, Job Proverbs, uh, Job, Job, Job Psalm 26, 7. Verse 7 says, he stretches out the north over the empty place. Now, this is also, uh, well, we're going there, and hangeth the earth upon nothing. So the Lord hung the earth upon nothing. Well, according to the thing before, uh, back in the 1300s, 1400s, it was all different. And the theories there that could not be confirmed were confirmed by the Bible. And it's in there. The gravitational field uh, is in this same verse here, 26-7, that it's proven he stretcheth out the, north, the, out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. If you look at that in other translations, it talks about the Lord just putting the earth out there and it wasn't attached to anything else. Uh, we know in Jeremiah, let's look in chapter 33 of Jeremiah, I want to get through this tonight is the reason we're just hustling through it. Chapter 33, verse 22. Now, the, heaven, the heavenlies at one day were thought to be calcul, uh, calcul, calculatable. You could measure the heavenlies. And uh, I read that, uh, that on an average clear night, that if you got on your back on the ground, you could count nine to ten hundred stars in the sky you know, graphing them off and sanctioning them. Um, verse 30, 22 says, As the host of heaven cannot be numbered, neither the sand of the sea measured, so will I multiply. And he goes on there, the comparison. But the word there is, the host of heaven cannot be numbered, neither the sand of the sea measured. Well, uh, what did God tell Abraham about his seed? He said in uh, Genesis 22, I will multiply your seed as the stars of the sky and as the sands of the seashore. Now, uh, let me get this right. Modern technology has not only found the correlation between sand and stars, this is amazing, but have discovered billions of galaxies. You know, you, you might get around a billion solar systems, but these would be galaxies that have multiple solar systems, which then have multiple planets, and that they have many stars in each. Reach, recent estimates, so somebody's studying this stuff, claim that there are over a hundred billion galaxies, each containing a hundred billion stars average, which produces 10 trillion trillion stars. You have a funny little small feeling come over you right now? Hallelujah. And the study said that this trillion, 10 trillion trillion stars is, is comparable to the amount of the sands of the sea. You go, well, that's a lot of sand and it's a lot of pieces. 
but we've not ever seen 10 trillion trillions. It's, it's a, a billion you can't get around. I'm telling you all the time, you can't get around a billion. You stack up a billion uh, $100 bills, and it, you can't even put them in a room, a large room. So that's just a billion. There's a, there's a thousand billions in a trillion. Now, it's just incomprehensible. Uh, another one is in Genesis 1-3, and we won't go there, but the word says there that God said, y'all remember what he said, he said, let there be light, and there was light. Well, what about that? Well, he didn't ever stop the light. He never said, light not be. So recent discoveries have shown that uh, what is known as the Big Bang Theory cannot be true because it is a theory produced to explain evolution, which proposes that the universe recycles itself. It explodes, it expands out, and then pulls it back together and repeats the cycle. Now, I don't know anything about that, and I'm just reading what I, what I read. There was an article in Time magazine where two astronomers, James Gunn and Alex Sendik, made similar but separate announcements that the universe will continue to expand forever. Sandick at the Hale Observatories based his conclusions on 15 years of observations of distance galaxy, and he noticed that the measurements of the amount of light had shifted toward the red end of the spectrum, whatever that means, and they are not slowing down at all but actually accelerating. There is no possibilities that these galaxies will ever turn back even more important, um, the redshift measurements of nearby galaxies measures give no indication of the slightest gravitational slowdown. So, God said light be, and it's still going out there. Now, the speed of light, how, how fast is the speed of light? Who knows that? Barry, you know that? It's a million miles per second, 1.86, 1.886, something it's, it's, it's faster than a speeding bullet, that's what we'll say. Uh, and so the galaxy is expanding and not contracting. And God created all of it. And he created it, you can see in Romans, that he created the stars for man. He created dogs and cats and horses and alligators and birds for man. He created man for the Lord, to minister to the Lord but he gave us the stars and the sun and everything that's on the earth to minister to us. And it does minister. You want to go to Tennessee or Florida or somewhere and you go, this ministers to me, this helps me. Well, that's, it. that's by design, that's by plan. It ministers to us so that we can minister to the Lord. So you should go to a quiet place. You should go to a good place. Um, we know a scripture in 2 Corinthians 4.18 that says that uh, we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal or uh, everlasting. Now, this is interesting to me. I love this stuff, even though I'm not really presenting it nearly as concisely as I meant to. But it's understood that atoms make up are made up of protons, electrons, and neutrons. Is that right? Y'all remember, remember that? And um, so it's always been speculated that the atom was the smallest particle of creation. 
And then it had those three parts of it, but that that was as small as it is. Then um, it was discovered that over 100 subatomic particles, such as the neutrino, the leptons, the quarks, the mesons, and the kaons, and that magnetic charge, positive and negative, call all particles to dissipate or assemble, forming matter as we know it. So we look not at the things which are seen. The things which are seen are not made of things that are seen. They're made of things which are not seen. Well, the atom was already there. I just put this other in there for inspiration. Colossians chapter 1. You would slip over there for me, with me. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 7, no, not verse 7, 17. It says, this is an amazing verse that's just kind of hung out there. And he is before all things, and by him, the Lord Jesus, all things consist. He is before all things, and by him all things consist. So it's by him. So this is, this is against the Big Bang Theory and all other theories that says that... Uh, well, whatever they say, but they never can explain the beginning of what they say. Um, the Greek says that the, the concept of the things that are created, the word is hold together, and he is before all things, and by him all things hold together. That's, that's what it is. And so um, that's what the American Standard says. So he doesn't just create it, he holds it together. Did y'all ever think what, think what an amazing thing that gravity is? Now next week, or the week after, whenever, next week I guess, I'm going to bring to you page after page after page. I looked it up about two months ago, about all the narrow parameters that the earth has to have in order for it to exist, and that we on the earth have to have to exist. It's, it's within just, just a few degrees. You know, global warming is not something that jumps up five degrees a year. It's, it's part of a degree every year, or, or not, whatever it is. We, that's a, and that wrecks havoc on the earth. You know, it's real narrow. The oxygen and, new, and nitrogen levels, we can't live on something different than what's already there. Our distance from the sun absolutely has to remain perfect. The moon, how far it is from us, and the tides and all that it creates, it can't be any closer and it can't be any further away. It's, there's things that, that I found in this article, I don't even understand what they mean. It's using words that I, I don't know and I certainly don't want know what they mean. But it's just page after page of parameters that says, this is, you know, like they tell you your cholesterol level. They say, well, you know, it's got to be 140 or 100 to 140, and here you are sitting on 141. You know, they'll tell you what your parameters of life are. Well, these things are amazing. Well, so the Lord says here in the Word, He is before all things, and by Him all things consist or hold together. He's telling us He made it, and He's keeping it together. So when they say that the planet can't supply, or can't uh, hold 8 billion or 9 billion people, 15 billion because it won't do it. They're wrong. They're, our God made the planet big enough and fertile enough and abundant enough to feed everybody. We just hadn't got into that technology yet, but I know farmers are capable of doing much more if the price was right. 
They can squeeze a lot more out of an acre of land than what they're doing. It's just an economics thing. And that's just that. They, I read one time that every person on the planet, and it's been a few years, could stand on a place of two and a half square feet, and they would not come out of the city limits of Jacksonville, Florida. Every person on the planet. At that time, it was seven-something billion, I guess. So there's plenty of room, is what I'm saying. Now, you can't get much done. You can't wash your car in Jacksonville, Florida. And uh, you can't plant tomatoes. But the truth is, there's lots of room out there for us. Amen? Um, I like this one. We've talked about this one for years. The paramount importance of blood in the Bible, in the life process. That's in Leviticus 17.11. Don't go there. I'll just tell you what it says. It says the life of the... The life of the flesh is in the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. Now, we, we watched a movie the other night, and uh, a cranky doctor in the late 1600s, early 1700s, his remedy for just about everything was to put a leech on you and draw, or to cut you and, and bloodlet. Well, you go, well, yeah, but the life is in the blood. The life's not, the blood's not our problem. It is the answer to everything. So uh, uh, I like this about the blood and what Jesus did for us. The life was in his blood, and it was the blood of Jesus. It wasn't his crucifixion. It wasn't his death. It was his blood. But he was crucified to get the blood into us, and he did die because the life is in the blood when they drained his blood. It took his life. But I like this. In, in, uh, turn to Genesis chapter 17. We're, we're, trying to, we're trying to beat the clock here. But I, this one you'll appreciate. You've probably heard it, but we'll talk about it anyway. Verse 12 of chapter 17 of Genesis. Is that right? Yes, there it is. Okay, we'll go into verse 11. Ye shall circumcise, talking about new babies, uh, man-child, verse 10, you shall circumcise the flesh of your short foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And then he gives details. And this is in Genesis 17. So this is way early, how important it is. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man-child in your generations. He that is born in the house or brought with money or of any stranger, which is not of thy seed, said everybody. Well, the part we're looking at there is the eight days. Why did God say to do it on the eighth day? Well, I wrote it down here because I knew you'd want to know. It, the eighth day to perform the ceremonial ritual was exactly the ideal time for baby boys to have the procedure. So I wrote this down. An important item in the medical science discovered in 1947 is the clotting factor in the blood. The book Hold Pediatrics reports that a newborn infant has peculiar susceptibility of bleeding between the second and fifth days of life. Hemorrhages at that time, though often are inconsequential, are sometimes extensive. They may produce serious damage to internal organs, especially the brain, and cause shock, death from shock. This is because of the absence of a Tremendous blood clotting element, vitamin K. Vitamin K is not manufactured in the baby's intestinal tract. 
until the fifth to seventh day. How cool, God. Therefore, the first day that is safe to perform circumcision is now known to be the eighth day, the very day that God commanded Abraham to do so. Furthermore, there is a second element that promotes the clotting of the blood, and that is prothrombin. Is that how you say that? Prothrombin? Prothrombin. That's how it's going to get it done right here. When a baby is born, the amount of this ingredient is less than normal. The curve of prothrombin concentration dips to a very low level on the third day of the baby's life and then skyrockets to a level 10% above normal on his eighth day. It then levels off to normal values after the eighth day. Therefore, it is now a medical protocol for circumcision, circumcision to be performed on the perfect day, the eighth day of life, just as the Word of God commanded. Wow. Now, that, that moves me, that he said it there. You know, Genesis goes way back. It was, it was before the day before yesterday. It's, it's old. And uh, eighth day. And now they say it, it, it should never happen before the eighth day. Now, this is just a general thing, and I'm going to wind it up here. Germs were generally unknown to man before 150 years ago. All disease was believed to be genetically inherent. You know, if you got sick, you'd done something wrong. You were in sin if you got a disease back then. Coming out of dormancy to afflict men, perhaps because of their behavior. So if you got sick, they said, what, what did you do? Uh, the Mosaic Law, though, contained 3,500 years of numerous passages designed to protect people against germs, microorganisms. Elaborate ceremonial laws such as the washing of hands. Y'all remember that? They had to wash their hands before they could do anything. The scribes and the Pharisees had a ritual of washing of hands. Uh, not touching dead bodies. Remember that? Uh, abstinence from eating pork and shellfish and bat and other things, but I left those off. Uh, respecting periods of uncleanness and the, mandate, and the mandated segregation of those who were unclean and those that would not regard these laws. So that's like the lepers. They were unclean. They had to be put out of the city. The woman with the issue of blood was unclean. She had to be put in a place. And so only, but only the, those that regarded the word of God ceremonially would adhere to these. Therefore, they didn't understand germs. That's just 150 years. But they were safe. They did what God's word said to do, not knowing why, and they were safe. No bat, you'll live longer. Amen. No shellfish, no pork. Now, I know people still don't eat pork today. God bless them, and that's great, and it's probably not expedient. It's lawful, but it's not expedient. Don't let anybody tell you you can't eat anything. That you may, you may should not eat some things, which uh, uh, I've been looking at the Father's Day gift bag that has chocolates in it on my desk all week long. And I have... Uh, tried to call it the unclean thing and that I will not eat the unclean thing, but, uh, and I haven't, but there it is saying, you can do this. It's, everything is received by prayer. So, uh, so the Jews that observe this and now the uh, Muslims in the sense of uh, the law and, and uh, who else does this on the, 
Who else keeps the dietary law? Just the Muslims and the Jews? The Hindus, definitely. And the, yeah, and some Adventists. You know, we're not going to say for sure, but there's a lot of people that still do that. Well, we're in a new era here, but it doesn't matter if we're in a new era medically. The New Testament's in effect. Now, it's just like healing, though. You've got to be in faith about it. You've got to be in faith about it. You can't just say, well, we're in a new covenant. Well, yeah, we're in a new covenant of healing. We're in a new covenant of prosperity. We're in a new covenant of, of grace and of, of peace. But you've got to get in faith about it. And if you can't get in faith about it, just don't eat the pig. That's what we say, just don't eat the pig. Or if you just say, I, you know, and you want to sanctify it, I believe in that. You say, well, does it work? Well, you can hardly know how many times those things didn't get me because we sanctified it. You never know. You know, you never know. So my point here is I'm going to bring this other stuff uh, on the, the parameters of living, but it's undeniable how God made the earth. We could talk about the eye. Uh, you've read about the eye, that how evolution could not produce the the beauty of the eye and how it's able to discern colors, uh, how it's able to uh, dilate and, and go into a bright light or a dark room and, and adjust, how it's able to, uh, on its axis, up and down, left and right, and then the symmetry of both eyes, then the, uh, the as you age, how it adapts. It's just, it's, you just couldn't get that way by accident. Uh, in any way, and then then you find all animals, all all creatures, even even a horsefly has an eye. It's different than ours, of course, but it's just amazing how God made this creation. And uh, matter of fact, I'm just going to read this. It just came to me. Uh, this has come up recently. We're not going to go there, but it, in Romans chapter one, uh, well, we're okay. Verse uh, 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, the ungodly, for God hath showed it unto them. So he's saying, I've shown the ungodly my creation. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. This always comes up when they say, well, what about people that, are, that n were never heard the gospel? Are they going to hell? Would a good God send them to hell? For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead, and here it is, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. So uh, if the heathen are moved by the creation, we should be moved. We should be easily persuaded to believe. And I want to I wanna encourage you to take every argument that you're going, well, I don't know about that. Because I may not have been clear on things, and you, but you got Scripture. You can go look it up in several versions yourself. You can study it out. It's on the Internet. It's everywhere. Don't just say he didn't do a good job or whatever. Go find out for yourself because it's you that's got to deal with it, not me. My job is just to present it and point. But don't be a Christian agnostic or a Christian atheist. Believe. It is the one thing 
the one thing that Christians are supposed to do. We, we get a pass on so much. By grace are you saved through faith. So we can sin, and we do, and God just says, I got grace for that. We can just mess up in so many ways, but one thing He's requiring of us is to walk by faith, to live by faith. And so these are some of the things that we've been bringing up. This is number five that hinder our faith, that, that we say, because no. if you can't believe the Bible, if you're hesitant about any part of it, then you are reluctant to put your life on the line about other parts. So yay, 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 amen. Well, thank you for tuning in tonight. We appreciate you tuning in. We will be here next Sunday and next Wednesday. Be sure and tune in. Thank you.